Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. You know, a number of years ago, Shana and I were at home, and Juliet was much younger, and she was in bed, and Andrew was just a baby, and he was actually sleeping in our bedroom. And we were asleep, and all of a sudden, when I was asleep, I heard this, and I felt like, I sort of thought I felt something kind of brush up against my arm. I wasn't sure. I was in that state of half asleep, half awake, and so I like shot up out of bed. And as I shot up out of bed, I saw what I think might have been a bat. And I sat up so quickly that I woke Shana up, and she was like, what? what what's going on? And I was like, there's a bat. And I'm pretty sure it just touched my arm. And so we are so freaked out. Like, we are terrified because all of the thoughts of like, oh, my word, there's a bat in our house, and it's in our bedroom, and I think it touched me, and it's flying around, and there's, there's our baby, and what if it touched him, and what if it landed on Andrew? What if it bit Andrew, and all of those thoughts, right? And so it's the middle of the night. And panic and fear has just flooded into me. And so I get up immediately, and I'm looking for this bat. I don't even know what I'm going to do if I find the bat. And we are freaked out. And so we look, I look, I look, and I look, and eventually the adrenaline lowers down, and we, we give up. We're like, we're not going to find this thing. So we somehow go back to bed. Well, the next day, it happens to be my day off, and so I decide that day I'm going to be Batman. And I grab my tennis racket, and I begin banging on walls, and I'm looking behind picture frames. I'm looking behind mirrors. I have no idea what I'm going to do if this bat comes out, but I'm hoping that I can swat that thing down or at least put it through a window or into the wall. And I look, the good part of the day, looking high and low for this bat, and I find nothing. So the day goes on, we eventually get the kids into bed, and Shana and I are downstairs hanging out on the couch watching Netflix, and out of nowhere, this bat comes down the stairs swooping and dive bombs us, and we just take cover, and I scream like a junior high girl. <laughs> it comes back at us, take pillows over, take cover, and it's flying around, and finally, it lands on top of the cabinet in our kitchen, and there is a, a tornado warning. <laughs> there is a gap, there's a foot gap in between our cabinet and the ceiling, and the bat just lands there, and I am absolutely terrified. But we've all been there, right? Something happens that begins to bring fear and panic. And maybe it's a car crash, or maybe it's a car cutting you off, and all of a sudden, there is fear and panic. Maybe you're afraid of heights. Maybe you're afraid of noises going off in church and being madly distracted. But do you remember, do you remember when your parents told you, do not be afraid? I mean, how helpful was that? Is it even possible 
to not be afraid? Is it possible to be fearless? Probably not. But maybe it's possible to fear less. So how do we become courageous? How do we become courageous and fear less? The good news is there's a group of men in the Bible who are overwhelmed by fear and terror, and they have a decision to make. Will they give in to fear, or will they choose courage? And that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And so we are in the middle of this series, A Tale of Three Kings. First two weeks, we dealt with King Saul. Now we roll into the life of David. David is a really interesting guy because as a teenager, God anoints him as king. God begins to use him to do some incredible things, including killing a nine-foot giant. And he is going to become the greatest king, not only in the life of Israel, but one of the greatest kings in all of history. In fact, God uses him to write the songbook that Israel would use for worship called Psalms. And so David is the next in line to become king. And Saul, who is also his father-in-law, who's also the first king of Israel, hates David, has him marry his daughter Michal, and Michal loves him. And because she loves him, when her dad wants to kill him, she lowers him down through the window with her bedsheet, and he takes off and he goes into hiding. And as he is off into hiding, he goes over to this town called Nob. And as he's there at Nob, he runs into this priest. And he's like, hey, guess what? I'm on this secret mission, but I'm flat out of weapons. I just kind of hurried up into this mission for the king. Do you happen to have any weapons? And the priest is like, oh, yeah. By the way, I have this amazing sword from Goliath. Would you like that? He's like, absolutely. Give that to me. So he takes the sword, he goes off to the next town down the road to Gath, meets the king of Gath there. The king of Gath recognizes him. David does not like that. The king is like, hey, I heard about you. I heard about the song people sing, right? Saul is awesome and David is awesomer. And he's like, oh no, people are recognizing me. And so he begins to pretend that he is crazy. And the king of Gath sees him acting insane. Is like, get this guy out of here. So David goes on the run. Saul finds out about this priest giving this sword to David. Says, hey, you've been conspiring with David. And he kills the priest, kills a whole group of priests. And one of the sons of the priest escapes, goes and finds David, who is hiding now, and tells David everything that has been going on. And that's where we pick up 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23, we'll start reading in verse 1. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah and are looting the threshing floors. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go attack the Philistines and save Kilah. But David's men said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more than if we go to Kilah against the Philistine forces? So they are absolutely terrified. They're outnumbered, outmanned, and they are on the run. And these guys know they are up against an army that they 
are likely going to lose. And so they're scared, they're terrified, and they have a choice. Will we be courageous or will we give in to fear? Will we give in to fear or are we going to choose courage? Which one will it be? Courage or fear? Courage or fear? What, what do you do? And we've all been there, right? I mean, what would you do if you weren't afraid of anything? How would you respond? What would you say? What would you do? What would you do later today? What would you do tomorrow if you knew that you weren't going to be afraid? In fact, some of you are afraid because I keep mentioning the word fear and panic, and now all of a sudden, fear and panic has stirred up inside of you. But look at what happens next. Verse 4, once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go down to Kilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Kilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Kilah. Now Abathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Kilah. So David goes to God, asks a second time, and notice these, these verbs here. David and his men went, fought, carried, inflicted, and saved. David's men are terrified. They're scared. They're living in fear. They're overwhelmed by fear. And David courageously leads this group of men. David is leading them. They go. David is leading his men, and they fight. David is leading his men, and they carried off the livestock. David is courageously leading his men, and they inflicted heavy losses. David is courageously leading his men, and they saved the people of Kilah. They knew this is what God says to do. In the midst of fear, in the midst of terror, we're going to obey. Can you imagine that? Fear is flooding into your mind. Your heart begins pounding. You feel like you're going to have a heart attack. Your thoughts are racing. And the only thing you want is for it to go away. Have you been there? David says, you know what, guys? I know you're scared. I know you're afraid. But we're going to choose courage. We're going to choose courage. We're going to trust God. Fear and worry can overwhelm you. It can just absolutely cripple you. But the good news is you and I have a God who will never leave you and never forsake you. And he loves you. In fact, he's going to use that fear to reveal some things about himself to you. The thing we see here in this passage is that God, the almighty God of the universe, gave the enemy into David's hand. He said, I'm sending you. I'm going to take care of it for you. I'm going to do all the work. You simply obey. And so what does trusting God look like? Trusting God is choosing courage over fear. Trusting God seems like one of those 
phrases that should be on a bumper sticker or a magnet. But how we trust God, that is so difficult, isn't it? And so if, if you were to not be afraid of anything, what would you do? Would you confront a bully at work? Would you confront a bully at school? Would you invite somebody to church? If you weren't afraid, would you share the gospel with somebody? If you weren't afraid of anything, what would you do? Would you stand up for Christ tomorrow? Would you go up to somebody and say, hey, sounds like, looks like you're having a hard day. Can I pray with you right now? I mean, in front of people? If you weren't afraid, what would that look like? What would you do? Trusting God requires us to be courageous and obey God even when it doesn't make any sense. But the story continues. Verse 7, Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah, and he said, God has delivered him into my hands. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod. David said, Lord, God of Israel, your servants has, literally, has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Kilah and destroy the town on account of me. So David asks, verse 11, will the citizens of Kilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, yep, he will. Oh, man. Verse 12. And David asked, okay, will the citizens, and you didn't hear me, God, will the citizens of Kilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, yep, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Kilah and kept moving from place to place. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Kilah, he did not go there. So David knows that he is outnumbered. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says that Saul has over 200,000 men. David has 600, which is great. But when it's 600 against 200,000, the odds are not in your favor. David knows this. And so he knows that God has told him, hey, these people that you just saved, these people that you just delivered, they're certainly going to hand you over to Saul. And so David is like, okay, we are out of here. He leaves immediately. And the word gets back to Saul. So Saul now knows that David and his men have left. And so notice what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So he's got 3,000 men now. He, he boils it down, 200,000 to 3,000. He's like, I'm going to take the best of the best, and we're going to hunt David down. We're going to find him. So they have this massive caravan. 
3,000 people is a lot of people. This is a parade of people. Men, carts, wagons, horses, mules, food, supplies, everything. A massive army going through all of Israel looking for him near the crags of wild goats. I'm sure you're familiar with that, right? That's, that's a clue. Like, you know where that is, right? We have no idea where that is. But the people who were reading this for the first time were like, oh, yeah, I know exactly where that is. David is being hunted down, and he is hiding. He's running for his life. But look what happens next. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. <laughs> so 3,000 men, if you're one of these average Joes and you've got to go to the bathroom, you just do what you got to do, and you catch up later. But when you are the king, you just say, hold on, hold on, on. everyone stop. <laughs> I've got to go. All right? So, and it just so happens that David is hiding and he's hiding in a cave. And it just so happens when this massive group of 3,000 people is marching through that God works in Saul's tummy. And he's got to go. And it just so happens that he says, okay, I'm going. I'm going alone. He goes into this cave and look at what happens next. David and his men were far back in the cave. I mean, what are the odds? What are the chances that Saul and his men just happen to be passing this cave? And when they're passing this cave, Saul has to go to the bathroom. And when they're passing this cave, Saul chooses that particular cave that in the very back of the cave, David and his men are there hiding out. I mean, it's like all of the stars have a line. I mean, this is like David's lucky day. He's thinking, wait, you got to be kidding me. These guys are in the back of the cave. Their eyes have adjusted to the darkness, and they're like, that's, that's Saul. I mean, this is the guy who wants to kill me. He's mistreated me. He's tried to kill me multiple times. I'm running for my life. There's a bounty on my head and look at what happens next. God's delivered his enemy, right, into his hands. His guys are thinking, this is the moment, David. I mean, David is the anointed king. The only thing preventing him from becoming king is Saul. I mean, just think about it. 3,000 men are standing there twiddling their thumbs, they're taking a little snack break, they're shooting the breeze, and they're talking, and they're just waiting over every now and then, looking over at the cave. I mean, is he done yet? I mean, this is a long time, buddy. Like, what's going on over there? Um, they're just, all that's got to happen is Saul walks in and David walks out. David could take care of this right now. Look at what he does next. The men said, this is the day. The Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands, for you will deal with it as you wish. But David could take care of this right now. I mean, how incredible would it be if David snuck up on Saul, killed him, 
walked out with Saul's head and was like, now what? I'm the king. Follow me. No army. These men can finally go home. No bloodshed. It's all over. And so David has this thought. Look at the next part. Then David crept up unnoticed. You and I are probably thinking the same thing, right? I don't know if we would have the courage to do that, but David starts sneaking up very, very slowly, not to step on the wrong stone, not to lose his balance, but to be super quiet. There Saul is, completely vulnerable, robe off, using the bathroom, and then here's what happens. He cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And as he does that, this tension begins to build in him. Adrenaline is running through him, and he's starting to wonder, okay, I'm about to murder the king. I mean, this is it. I'm going to murder the king. And he's slowly starting to feel something inside. Look at what happens next. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He's essentially attacked the king. He's essentially rebelled against him. I mean, this is a preemptive strike. Hey, I'm almost, I'm about to, I could take your life out, strike. And he feels bad. And so often, that conscience inside of us begins to, get a little bit louder and a little bit louder. And what do you do with that? What do you do? David is starting to lean into that. But look at what happens later. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David recognizes, hey, God made Saul the king. Who am I to replace him? Who am I to remove Saul? Who am I to take his life? David's men are sitting there thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. now he's your master? This guy is trying to kill you. He hates you. David, if you won't do it, we'll do it. David, we're ready to go home. We're ready to take care of business. He says, no, he's the Lord's anointed. So look what happens after that. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. There's that tension that grew inside of David. He, he's creeping up and he realizes, I'm not sure this is a good idea. It's probably a bad idea. I'm about to murder the king and I cut it off and I'm about to kill him and that tension grows and grows and grows. And so the question is, what do you do with your conscience? Do you listen to your conscience? Do you ever pay attention to your conscience? Are you ignoring your conscience? You see, you have opportunities every single day to, to listen, to lean in, or to ignore your conscience. Andy Stanley says, Pay attention to the tension. That that tension is inside of you. It's growing and it's easy to say, I'm just going to do what I want to do. 
But how many of us are selling ourselves on a really bad idea that will follow you for the rest of your life? I mean, David has a really cool song right now. (laughs) David has slain tens of thousands. People are singing that song. But do you really want this to be a song, David? I mean, think about the next choice you're going to make. Think about the choices you've been making and you've been maybe ignoring your conscience. David went out of the cave. Saul gets out of the bathroom, well, hand sanitizer, gets on his mule, hears a familiar voice. David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, probably got a little bit of whiplash, David bowed down and prostrated himself and his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen to the men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands. In the cave, some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Let the Lord take care of you, Saul. I'm not going to be the judge of you. My hands are clean. I could have killed you, but I've chosen not to. I mean, think about it. This is the guy who has harmed David, mistreated David, tried to kill David, hunted David down, and he has an incredible opportunity to finally give it back. How many of us would have said, you know what? Payback is tough, man. Your turn is coming. In fact, I'm going to serve it up. And we say things to get people back, or we do things to get people back, or we choose not to do anything like, hey, that's, that's on them. I see it's going to fall, but I'm not going to help them out. Let theirs come to them. David says, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to let God take care of you. Look at what he says in verse 13. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. I'm going to do the right thing. David is saying, hey, evil people, they do evil things. Right there. Everybody, thousands of men are seeing the difference between these two men. One is hunting the future king down, the anointed king, his son-in-law. And the other is saying, I'm going to let God take care of this. I don't have to take care of you. I don't have to pay you back. In fact, God will do a better job at taking care of you. Yeah, you've harmed me. You've mistreated me. You've taken advantage of me. You've made me run from my, from my family. I can take care of this or I can let God take care of this. So trusting God means choosing courage over fear. 
But then David goes on, verse 14. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David says, I'm just a dead dog. I'm like a flea. I'm nothing. You gain nothing from coming after me. You gain nothing from hunting me down. And so trusting God means choosing mercy over judgment, right? And we want to make people pay. We want to put people in that emotional penalty box. No, it's your turn. You've hurt me. You've harmed me. You've mistreated me. But what if we actually chose mercy over judgment? Let God deal with that person. Let God take care of them. Trusting God means, hey, I'm going to be an overcomer of evil. That's what Paul says in Romans 12. Overcome evil, not with evil, but overcome evil with love. If there's an enemy, if there's someone who has hurt you or harmed you or done you wrong, you can overcome evil with good. You can overcome evil with love. He says, see your enemy struggling? Give them something to drink. That's what Jesus says. See your your enemy struggling and they're hungry? Give them something to eat. And Jesus says, by doing so, you're actually feeding Jesus. You're actually giving Jesus a drink of water. Proverbs talks about if if your enemy has has harmed you, you, the way you get them back is by doing nice things for them, loving them. The author of Proverbs says it's like putting hot coals on their heads. I've never had hot coals on my head. It would hurt. But that's how you overcome evil and wrong. It's with good. It's with love. It's choosing mercy over judgment. And so when we trust, our our display of, of what we value and what we love is all out for everybody to see. And so you have a choice. Am I going to trust God and choose courage? Am I going to trust God and choose mercy? Or am I going to give in to fear? Am I going to give in to my own desires and do things the way I want to do? And so there Shane and I were. We were looking at this bat, and I was wondering, what am I going to do next? So I grab a Tupperware container. It's empty, and I, I creep over there, and I climb up onto the counter, and I'm looking at the bat, and in my mind, maybe a little out loud, I go, one, two, three. And I just slam this Tupperware right on top of the bat. The bat squeals. I yell. And then I take a piece of cardboard, and I slide it under this bat and just kind of give it a little shake and stun it a little bit. Finally, we get rid of the bat. Man, I was terrified. What were my options? Open up the doors and the windows and hope maybe the bat will just magically fly out all on its own or decide, okay, I got to be a little brave. I got to put my big boy pants on, Tim, and do something. It's a little tiny bat, Tim. And tennis racket was not getting the job done. But today, 
this week, you are going to have opportunities to choose courage or fear. And so every single day, you have those opportunities. Why choose courage over fear? Why choose mercy over judgment? If you weren't afraid of anything, what would you do? If you could show mercy to one person this week, who would that be? So here's the the application. Number one, pay attention to the tension. As your conscience begins to build and your conscience begins to grow and gets louder and louder, choose courage. Like Andy Stanley says, pay attention to the tension. But number two, let the Lord avenge your wrongs. Choose courage. Let God take care of the people who have mistreated you. So this week, who am I demonstrating that I trust? Am I demonstrating that I trust me or am I demonstrating that I trust God? Let me pray with you. God, it's amazing that you allow us to interact with this account of David and his life and how you are at work and you're organizing all of these small nitty-gritty details. It's amazing that in all of your sovereignty and your providence, you bring all of these events and these circumstances and you allow these men to choose courage over fear. God, I know there's a lot of us in this room who are plagued by fear and worry. It overwhelms us. Sometimes it even cripples us. We can't even function. Pray that you would help us to choose courage. I ask that this week you would help us that when we are conscience-stricken like David, we would listen to that. That when your Holy Spirit begins to prick us and convict us, we would choose courage and we would listen to that. We would grow in our trust for you. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we close with this last song?